Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. This week, I'm super excited to have Chris Jones on Uncharted Careers. He's a five-time Emmy Award-winning feature producer in the San Francisco Bay Area. Chris and I met through his partner, Lauren Rollerson, who has also been on the podcast. When you start listening to him, you quickly understand why he's been successful in developing really impactful stories. He's so warm, he's so kind, and he's super easy to talk to. It's really inspiring to hear how he turned his passion for sports into an incredible career, creating these human interest pieces and short stories that can have profound effects on viewers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you like it, please rate me five stars wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave me a review. I think in the personal life space, me and Lauren have just been kind of really busy the last couple of weeks with, you know, I was, we were at a wedding the weekend last weekend we were with her family the weekend before um and it's kind of like the last little hurrah before we get into football season where work gets really busy um i think just something positive that is just you know looking back on the last handful of weeks we've just been really thankful and lucky just being able to spend a lot of time with our friends and family so that's kind of the first thing that pops to mind you guys are a lot of fun at a wedding (laughs) i appreciate that (laughs) I'm jealous that you had so many without me recently. (laughs) Well, let's start off by you telling me a little bit more about what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a feature producer with NBC Sports Bay Area in San Francisco. Um, We're a regional network under the NBC corporate umbrella, which means that basically we focus on a specific region of the country sports team. So we're in the Bay Area, so we focus on you know the San Francisco Giants, the Golden State Warriors, the San Francisco 49ers, um, and that's our focus. That we have other regional networks in New York, Boston, Dallas, you know, other kind of major areas, Chicago. Um, but here in the Bay Area, we're actually the biggest of the regional networks that NBC has. So um, I do a lot of short stories, a lot of documentaries, you know, kind of the the human interest pieces you see on a lot of the sports broadcasts. Very cool. As a feature producer, do you have a team that you're running? <laughs> Not particularly. We, um, the thing about being at a regional network is we don't necessarily have a lot of resources to, to commit to original content and storytelling. Um, so we don't really have like, a team necessarily that I like that works under me or work with me. Um, But it's been fun over the years as, you know, the kind of the only feature producer for our network to kind of bring up some of the younger guys, the younger production assistant interns who have a passion for that and kind Mm -hmm. of helping them guide them along because especially in the regional sports network, um, there's not necessarily a clear path to if you want to do storytelling or feature production. So it's been fun to, you know, an intern will come in to like, Hey, in college, I really enjoyed doing, you know, features for my college TV station or whatnot. And they always kind of go, Hey, 
you should talk to Jones because that's kind of his passion as well. Um, so not necessarily a team, but through the years, I've been kind of able to help out some of the younger people in the industry who have similar interests. Gotcha. Yeah, that's super cool. Tell me more about the types of stories that you're looking to tell when you're thinking about your next um, feature production or short that you're doing. Uh, what what piques your interest and what makes you decide, okay, I need to look more into this and I need to tell the story? Yeah, I think it's um, it kind of varies. Uh, I, I get I get crap sometimes at work because a lot of the stories I've done have been very like emotional, heart wrenching stories. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, it's always just, you know, what is a story that someone, even if they're not really interested in sports can watch and take something away from, whether it's, you know, a different way to look at a relationship they have a different way to think about a certain aspect of their life. Um, That's kind of how I look at it. Like it, it doesn't always have to be serious. It can be something fun. It can be a lighthearted story. But I think there always just needs to be a reason why you're telling it. Like if the reason is mm-hmm. just, hey, I want to make someone laugh or feel good for three minutes, then that's great. That's a perfect reason to tell a story. If there's yeah. a deeper reason like, hey, maybe rethink how you look at certain relationships or how you take things for granted in life and you can mm-hmm. use a sports player or a team to help tell that story – and that's great too. It's just as long as there's a reason why you're telling it. Like mm-hmm. I, I talk with people all the time that, you know, they're like, Oh, do you, can you, are you only interested in doing sports stories? And yeah. not necessarily. I know my career has been in sports up to this point, but the reason I like sports as a, as a vehicle to tell stories is it almost kind of tricks people into watching a story that they wouldn't necessarily think they'd watch where it's like, Hey, what if I told you about this story about this young man who, overcame all this adversity and ended up, you know, living his best life. Da, da, da. You know, some people might be like, yeah. well, uh, I, I don't really know if I'm interested. Then you trick him. You'd be like, well, what if they played linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers and they went to college at this school? And they're like, Ooh, that sounds interesting. It's the yeah. same exact story, but because there is a, a sports connection to it, it kind of hooks people in that wouldn't necessarily want to watch it. Mm-hmm. So leading with sports is kind of the foot in the door that you need to reach the masses. And then once they have that initial connection, they're much more interested in what comes next and in the personal side. Yeah, it's just like sports is just like a common ground that yeah. most people, at least at some level, can understand. It's, you know, it's like when you go to a, a party with a group of people and you don't really know anybody, what's like one of the easiest things to start talking about? It's like, hey, what about Mm -hmm. this big sports event that's going on or something that just happened? It's a Mm -hmm. similar thing I feel like with storytelling where, you know, everyone has a very base knowledge of professional sports, college sports, whatever. And then you use that to try to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And how are you telling the stories? How is... What kind of content are you creating? Is it for TV specifically, or are you also creating content for online, or are you writing in addition? What kind of content is coming out from the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's something that's actually changed as the years have progressed. You know, when I first started NBC, everything was for TV. You know, everything was what we call linear, was a linear production that was going to be on the television set. And as the years have progressed, what's crazy is that's almost like 
the least important part of storytelling now because every, we live in such a digital age that everything online is going to get a way more reach than something that's just on, especially a regional sports network where if it's online, it can be seen by anybody. Um, so with that, you, we've kind of had to shift how we tell stories. The attention span of someone online is going to be much shorter than it is for someone watching a, a TV show. Um, so kind of shifting the way you tell a story to be more quick, more um, fast paced has been something that's been an adjustment over the years um, where I wouldn't necessarily say that we're creating content specifically for the digital space or, um, or the podcast space. Um, but having to kind of shift how you think about it so that it fits into all these buckets where yes, it can go on TV, but, but it can also make sense online. And if we want to have an audio portion of it, it also makes sense to do it that way. Um, so now where, you know, years ago it was just, Hey, if, if it's on TV, great. And if it trickles down to these other things, then that's just gravy. Now it's, if you go in, when you go into telling a story, you have to think about how it's going to fit in every, you know, different realm of, of our network, whether it's, you know, linear digital and in, in the podcast space. Yeah. How has that adjustment been? How have you learned over time to adapt to not only telling stories for specifically TV, but creating these other snippets where viewers are different, have different attention spans, are of different generations, potentially? How do you um, change with the times? Um, stubbornly, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. Uh, I, you know, I'm someone who loves like a long, you know, fleshed out story. You know, it's like the one thing in my life I have an attention span for is, you know, watching a good documentary feature story. Um, so I think just over the years, just listening to people in those industries, like ask, I remember the first time our head of digital told me this feature is too long. No one's going to watch it. And I thought he was crazy. I was like, you're out of your mind. Like, this is a great story. People are going to watch it. And then we posted it as is, and sure enough, he was right. And there are analytics that show when someone stops watching a video, and he showed me. It was like right at the four-and-a-half-minute mark, people dipped out, and people stopped watching. And so it's like, okay, you know, maybe he knows what he's talking about. And then just slowly but surely learning to adjust and being, you know, a lot pickier with, you know, the stories and being more concise with the storytelling – not necessarily taking away from it because you still want to tell the story and give the story the time it needs, but maybe, you know, this little section, if it's not necessary, maybe we can cut that out and maybe we can cut some other stuff out too, to be more selective. Um, so it's taken me some time if I'm being fully honest, um, but just kind of taking input from other areas and trusting that they know what they're talking about. Yeah, and having the data to actually see, okay, we know that people only have attention spans on average for up to four and a half minutes. That is helpful. I know it's hard, though, too, because you probably are so in the weeds on the stories where you are excited about the details and the nuances, and it probably contributes to the overall picture, but you only have so much time and can only say so much. Yeah, and it's hard, too, sometimes because, you know, when you everyone in the industry obviously loves what we do and loves the storytelling aspect. So 
it's hard when I talk to my editor that I've worked with for years and he's like, no, this is great. And then I talk to our photographer who's like, no, this is great. And then we have to realize like, we're, like you said, we're in the weeds. Like this is what we do. The average consumer isn't like us. They don't have the investment that we have in this story. So just trying to separate yourself from it, I think has really been helpful for me over, as the years have gone by. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what a typical day looks like for you or a typical week in your position. Ooh, that is, uh, it's kind of all over the place. Um, it kind of comes and goes like some weeks we pretty mellow. We'll be, you know, setting up shoots. We'll be setting up interviews. Other weeks it kind of, you know, fluctuates, whether it's with travel, whether it's post-production. Um, so it really just kind of depends on what stage of the story we're in. Um, which I know is kind of a cop-out answer, but it really just kind of fluctuates uh, depending on where we're at story-wise. Um, you know, I pretty much work 100% remotely um, if I'm not on a shoot or I'm not having to be in the office, which is nice. Um, but it really just kind of depends. Sometimes a shoot is at 7 in the morning and you have to get all the way up to like Sacramento, which is about a two-hour drive from us, or – Another time it'll be a late night shoot or a late night edit. Um, so it just kind of kind of fluctuates. Yeah. Well, tell me about the life cycle of a story. Once you have the idea, what happens from there through execution? Yeah. So find a story. Um, we pitch it to our, our managers and our VP of content. Kind of explain why we want to do the story, especially in a network with limited resources, the why is really important and kind of what the bang for the buck is. Um, what's it going to take to execute the story? And then once the green light is given, then you reach out to the subject. Usually, actually, I'm sorry, usually I have a connection or I've reached out to the subject already before mm-hmm. we pitch the story just because if we pitch the story and then the person's like, mm, I don't want to do this, then that's kind of a waste. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then arrange a shoot. We go and do the sit down interview. Um, whether it's one person, two people, if it's a larger story, it can be up to like 12 to 14 interviews, depending on the story. Um, then we get all the footage back and we go into post-production where we lay out the sound. We kind of put a skeleton of what we want the show or the story to look like. And then I'll sit down with an editor who has way more talent in editing than I do. And they'll start to put the bells and whistles and all the, the extra stuff on it that makes it look great. Uh, once we get it done, then we meet with our social department and our digital department to see if there's certain things we can write articles off of, see if there's certain ways we can promote the story in our other content. Like if it's a story on a Giants player, could we promote that story during the Giants broadcast, you know, later that night um, just to kind of get more attention and more eyeballs to it. Um, And then once everything is said and done and we're ready to roll, then the story airs. How many features are you producing per year? Um, In various like levels and lengths. Um, 
probably eight. Okay. Right around eight-ish. Yeah. So these are lengthy projects that you're embarking on. And I know you said you don't have just one team that you work with, but there's so many different departments that you're collaborating with and you are working with a ton of other people, it sounds like, throughout the process. Yeah, absolutely. And some stories, um, I think so much of feature producing is trust. And it takes a long time sometimes to get someone you want to do a story on to trust you and to, you know, to, to believe that you're going to tell their story with caution and with care. Um, and sometimes that can take years. Sometimes they never get there. Um, but I always try to be conscious of that. Cause I remember there was, there was a player on the A's I was trying to do a story on and I was talking a long time with his mom and his mom was a big part of the story. And I remember one time, as we were going through the process on a phone call, she said, you realize you're asking me to relive the worst day of my life on camera. Oh. And it, she didn't say it meanly. She didn't, she's not, she, she wasn't like upset about it, but I think her saying that just put it in context. And yeah. ever since then, I've always just kept that in mind where, you know, the, the people were doing stories on, yes, you know, we have the best intentions. We want to tell the story for a good reason. But at the end of the day, we're asking them to relive stuff that's very hurtful sometimes and very painful for them. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that not a lot of people realize is a story can take months, years to get done because you have to wait for the person to be ready to sit down and open up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you building that trust? Are you going in person and building a relationship with them? Or how how are you communicating and working with them in a way that's building trust over time? Yeah, I think you just, I mean, communication is big. Mm-hmm. Um, past work has been very helpful. So you can show them like, hey, here's stories we've done in the past. Here's okay. how we've told someone else's story. You know, even if it's not the same as their story, they can get an idea with how we handle, you know, very sensitive topics. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's, you know, connections through other people. Like we have a lot of reporters and insiders on our team that cover, you know, the Niners, Giants, Warriors, and sometimes working with them can give you a leg in for an athlete. It's like, Hey, if this person vouches for me and that kind of shows that, you know, they can, tr- they can trust me as well. Yeah. Um, so it just it just kind of depends sometimes who it is and really how sensitive the the subject matter is. Mm-hmm. Do you have a feature that you've produced that you're most proud of, or that you, or it just has been your favorite? I wouldn't say it was my favorite, but one recently that I've never like I've I've gotten a lot of incredible feedback from feature stories, and I've I've built friendships with some people I've done stories on who have kept in touch with me. Um, and I wouldn't, it's funny. I wouldn't even say this is my favorite feature, but it was just, it was one of the, the coolest moments as a feature producer. Um, I did a story on a, um, a former 49ers linebacker named Gary Plummer, who um, through, you know, years of playing in the NFL has CTE, unfortunately. And, was diagnosed with early onset dementia. And so 
long story short on his story is he basically started this insane regimen of yoga and therapy and all this stuff. And he was actually able to reverse the signs of early onset dementia and is now living his best life. He couldn't be happier. He lives in San Diego with his wife and three dogs and it's great. Um, But he talked a lot during that story about how he, even though he was living his best life, he woke up every morning and contemplated suicide and contemplated ending his life. Um, And so we do the story, him and his wife love it. And him and his wife are very vocal and do a lot of speaking engagements. So they asked if they could use this feature at their speaking engagements. And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. No big deal. Um, she texted me, his, his wife texted me and basically said, Hey Chris, just want to let you know that we got a phone call from someone who went to one of our speaking engagements and told us that basically his son was going through depression and was very serious about ending his life. But I, but watched the feature story you produced on Gary, my husband. And because of that feature story, he decided to go to therapy and turn himself around and is now you know, doing much better. And basically said that watching the feature story saved this kid's life. Um, so that was, that was something I had never experienced before in a pretty cool moment. Um, just as Very like an powerful. example of, yeah, it was just like, I don't know, it was one of those things when we get a text message i was at a music festival with lauren and i get this text message and i'm just kind of like holy cow um it just reminds you there's a lot of stuff in every industry but especially in the tv industry that can kind of wear you down after time and that was just one of those moments that just remind you like hey like there's a reason why you like doing this and there's a reason why it's important Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's an interesting point because you're creating this content that obviously can be so impactful and so powerful, but you're probably not talking to the end consumer that is ingesting all of your work. You're talking with the folks that are helping you to create it and put it out there, um, but you're not really directly seeing the impact of what your work has done. Um how are you celebrating wins or successes or when you put something out there, what are you looking for um, with regards to how successful it is? Um, it's definitely something I can get better at. I think I'm very critical when it comes to stories and even the final versions of stories. I'll be like, mm, I wish I could have changed this, 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 or this. Um, I think just getting feedback from the subject for me is really rewarding. Um, you know, it's, it's great that people like it. It's great that my bosses like it. It's great that, you know, whoever likes it, but when someone trusts you to sit down with them and afterwards they watch the piece you put together and they appreciate it or they enjoy it. I think that's, the to me one of the best signs of success like we did a we did a story years ago on um a uh a police officer in oakland who was shot and killed who was a huge oakland a's fan so we did this big story about it and i wasn't expecting this 
but his brother, who was a big part of the story, came in to our studio to watch the piece. And he wanted to watch it before it aired on TV. And so just me and him in this small edit bay watched this very emotional story about his brother being killed in the line of duty. And, you know, this guy's daughter's talking on camera, him talking on camera. And I wasn't really expecting it. And I was still pretty young in my career and hadn't really done anything like that. And when it was all said and done, he looked over at me and he was like, you did my brother proud. And I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so just stuff, just, just stuff like that is, is really rewarding when, you know, you can, you can have the, the people you're doing the stories on be happy and proud of the work you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, that must be so powerful to be sitting in that room and hearing directly from them that you have put the story out there in a way that's making someone's brother proud. Yeah. How did you get into feature producing? When did you decide in your career that this is what you were looking to do? I think I, I kind of grew up wanting to do everything. I <laughs> you know, was obsessed with movies growing up. Mm-hmm. So I thought I wanted to be like a director or whatnot. And then, you know, going into high school, still kind of thought that, but was getting really more and more into sports. And then even in college, I was a radio, television, and film major. Um, so I took like more film classes and more uh, like screenwriting classes and not really broadcast television just because I didn't think that was going to be what I wanted to do. And then right out of college, I actually started working in sports talk radio. So I loved sports. I loved talking about sports and thought that would be a fun path for me. And then after a couple years of that, just wasn't what wasn't my thing. It just, it, it wears on you pretty quickly. Um, so then I, I lucked out and got an internship at NBC sports Bay area. Um, kind of, kind of fell into a position there randomly, um, started working there and then, very early on kind of learned about feature producing, which kind of combined a little bit of the movie making that I loved as a kid while also involving sports, which was great. But then also um, I didn't realize until I started doing it, how much I loved talking with people and interviewing people, even though I've, I don't really have like a classic background on interviewing. I just being able to make the connection with people and, tell their story and kind of finding a creative way to tell their story was something I just kind of got addicted to. And then ever since then, I've just been kind of following this path. Yeah, that's awesome. When you think about professional goals that you have um, and think to the future, what are you looking to create that you haven't already or what kind of milestones or goals are you looking to hit? I think for me personally, kind of just growing my skill set as a storyteller, going to mm-hmm. bigger networks, bigger productions um, is kind of my my dream and my goal. Um, the one thing I like about the feature producing and the storytelling is each story kind of becomes its own goal. So yeah. you know, you you find a story. You're like, I need to tell this. That becomes the project you want to do. And then you put 
months, sometimes more than that into a story, it gets done. And then you're like, all right, that, that was fantastic. What's the next story we're going to do? Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's as far as like goals that kind of shifts it a little bit. Um, I just think always trying to get to the next level. Um, Cause each level you go, when you go to a national network or you go to a private production house, the scales just get a little bit bigger. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say for me personally in my career trajectory, that would be what I'm kind of aiming for. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've learned so much just hands-on along the way. Is there something that you wish you knew earlier on in future producing um, that you learned the hard way just over time? I don't know if it's necessarily something I wish I knew. I just think doing this, I think anyone who knows me, you would have talked to me and probably still some people who talk to me. Um, I'm not the most organized person in the world, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but through doing this for a number of years, everything has to be buttoned up and every you know, I dotted and T crossed. So it's, mm-hmm. it's made me learn throughout the years how important organization and whatnot is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would think of something I would definitely tell myself a younger age, like, hey, no, you, you really need to hone down on this. Do you have a system now of organization that's working for you? Yeah, it's kind of organized chaos, but <laughs> it, it works okay. for me. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, what's been your favorite part of feature producing? Um, just the connections. Um, you know, I love the process of telling a story, like whether it's hunting for a story and finding, you know, all right, here's because there's like a weird ratio in especially TV storytelling is either has to be the most incredible story in the world or it has to be on an athlete that everyone wants to talk about. So it's like a balancing act where it's like, it could be a really good story, but if it's not on a Steph Curry, Christian McCaffrey level player, they're not going to want to do it. Now, if it's both, if it's a great story on a, you know, a huge athlete like LeBron or someone like that, then that's the best of both worlds. But it's kind of this balancing ratio of good story versus, you know, important or uh, popular person in the sports world. So it's fun sometimes to go digging and kind of find an angle or a story or something that hasn't been talked about before and kind of crafting a story around that. Um, And then from there... You know, finding out the best way to do it, finding out the best way to tell that story with the the materials you have available. It's a whole process that I just, I love going through the process and I love hunting for stories, figuring out how to do them and then, you know, seeing them through to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not only have you gotten great feedback from the subjects and from other folks around you who have been a part of the stories that you've told and the features you've produced, you've also been publicly recognized through, I know, some awards. Can you tell me about the Emmys that you've won and the process of even being considered for an Emmy? Sure. Yeah. I've uh, been lucky enough. 
to win five Emmys for for feature production. Um, and yeah, there it's. I don't know. It's kind of a it's kind of a funny thing because there have been stories I've won for that I didn't think were going to win, and there have been other ones that. I thought were my favorite that didn't get recognized. Um, so it's, it's funny because, you know, the first one I remember just being completely out of my mind, like thankful for, and just being so shocked and being like, how on earth is this happening? And thinking mm-hmm. there's no way on earth that any award after this is going to feel like that. <laughs> And then each and every time it's happened, it's been the exact same. And I think the reason is because you put so much into a story that for me personally, when it gets recognized for something like that, it's more just a celebration of that story mm-hmm. and a celebration of um, kind of what you were able to put together with the people you worked with. Um, so I think that's why each time it kind of it it kind of feels special, you know, because every time is a little different. Every time the story is a little different, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's just kind of a crazy experience. Yeah, well, congratulations. Thanks. Well, I have one last question for you. Um, what sort of advice do you have for somebody that would be interested in future producing in sports? I think the advice I would tell people is just, if you really don't love it right away, it's only going to get harder for you. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're 22, 23, 24, it sucks when you're missing birthdays and your friends are going on trips that you can't go on because you have to work a holiday or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's only going to get harder when you start, you know, settling down, when your friends are getting married, when you start thinking about getting married and having kids, like if you don't love it, it's not, it's not going to get any easier. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I'm incredibly lucky to have a partner that supports me and supports my career. Um, mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to have that. And so if you love it, ob- obviously stay with it. But if, if it's hard for you in the beginning and you're questioning it, I would just, I would just say, don't do it. Cause it's only going to get harder as you go. Yeah. You really have to have that passion and keep you going. Yeah, exactly. And the willingness to sacrifice not being able to be there for personal life events that otherwise you would. Yeah. And like, and that wears on you and you know, it's, it stinks when you're 23 and you can't meet your friends out for something, but then you get older and you know, you, you start missing your friends, kids birthdays and you start missing Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And it's worth it if you love what you're doing, but yeah, if it's if it's hard for you and it gets frustrating, it's it's just going to get harder as you keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This was so insightful. I learned a ton from you today. Oh, thank you for having me. This is fun. Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.